Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. So glad you're able to join us today for worship. This week has been significant as, once again, our country has seen a peaceful transition of power, something for which we should be very, very grateful to be part of this nation. Before we, before we go through the service, I'd like to just in, invite you to pray with me uh, before I begin the sermon. Let's pray. Father, we're glad that you're the God who is gracious to us in all things. We thank you for the great opportunity that we've been able to see this week of a peaceful transition of power. And we pray for your blessing on our nation as we step into this new, this new time. Bless us also as we open your word right now that we'll be able to understand better the amazing stewarding of the gospel of equality is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're privileged to live in a country that, at least in in its formal documents, supports the idea of equality. Come the 4th of July and the the celebration of the, the origins of our nation, we easily recall the words from the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a grand thought that we are all created equal. Unfortunately, our history is marred with failures to live out our stated belief about equality in our creation. It was a long journey for some Americans bound in the inequality of slavery from 1776 to the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing slaves in 1863, and then on to the to the sort of the ratification of the 15th Amendment seven years later in 1870. The amendment prohibits the federal government and each state from denying a citizen the right to vote based on that citizen's race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Of course, that that amendment only recognized the male citizens. It was another long stretch from 1870 to the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, August 26, 1920, just 100 years ago this last August. It says the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. What should be evident to everyone is that that having, stating, even believing that all people are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that it is a journey a journey to the practical practice of that belief in all the corners of our lives. In theological terms, it is a great orthodoxy that is being worked out into our lives of orthopraxis. We are, we are drawn to the notable con, noble concept of equality when it means some improvement for us personally. 
You see, if, if I have less income or if I'm paid less for my work and, and a movement and a cry for equality means my income goes up or I'm paid more for my work, then I'm undoubtedly drawn to the idea of equality. However, if I have more income or am paid in, uh, adequately for my work and the cry for equality means reducing my income or my pay so others' income and pay might increase, then I'm not so enamored with the idea of equality. That biblical concept that Jeff talked about last week, where followers of Jesus are invited to consider others better than yourselves. A few weeks ago, I used the parable from Matthew 20 of the workers in the vineyard. Some agreed when hired at 6 a.m. to work for the day for a day's wage. Then those hired throughout the day at 9 o'clock, at noon, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and some at 5 o'clock, just an hour before quitting time, all agreed to work on the promise of the owner to pay each whatever is right. In the end, the owner opted for equality, a full day's wage for each one. Whether you worked one hour or three or six or nine or the full 12 hours, each got a full day's pay. That equality looked really good to the those who were hired in the last hour and didn't quite seem fair or just or equal to the ones who put in 12 hours. Jesus seemed in, in some stories and practices to, to sometimes honor and sometimes ignore our cherished ideas of equality. Children, for example, had no rights in the culture of Jesus' day. They were clearly not considered equals with adults. It was way less favorable even than the Victorian era of being seen but not heard. The father in each family had absolute power over the child to the point of life and death. There were no equal rights for children. So when little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, of course the disciples would rebuke those who brought them. In their minds, the children weren't equal. They weren't worth the master's attention. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he took time to put his hands on them and bless them before going on his way. Then there was that time when Jesus seems to support his unequal calling to Israel. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's suffering terribly from demon possession. Maybe worse than outright refusal or rejections was Jesus' response of apathy. His response was a non-response. Worse, it was a failure to even notice her existence. It was it was sort of like us when we we come down the exit ramp at I-4 and there's that panhandler there and we don't even make eye contact with them uh, because we don't want to have any contact. The disciples came to him and they urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus' words seemed to affirm a denial of equality. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. When the woman came and knelt before him, she pleaded, Lord, help me. I hope there was a a twinkle in his eye that gave her hope. I I hope there was maybe the slightest hint of a smirkish smile that encouraged her. 
I hope this because his words affirmed the inequities of his culture. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus was in the region of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite region. The Jews call these Gentiles dogs. Well, she hears the words. She understands that the children of Israel, their blessings, their bread, their benefits are by rights theirs. She's not equal. She even acknowledges herself as a dog as she makes one last-ditch effort for her daughter. Yes, she says to Jesus, that might be true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed that very hour. We can rally around the causes of equality, of fairness, of justice, as long as we don't believe we will be diminished in any way by others being given their equal due. We theoretically like equality as long as we get preferential treatment. Today's message is titled, Stewarding the Gospel of Equality. Now, some of you may have seen that title and assumed that that we would invest our time together exploring ways that the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to engage in working for equality for all. How the gospel calls us to a, a ministry of seeking justice. And while I believe that that is true, I think there is a different equality a grounding equality, a freeing equality, we get to steward. I'm afraid this level ground of equality isn't always one that we rush to embrace. In fact, it it seems that there is among God's followers a special tendency, or at least a strong temptation, to avoid hearing, seeing, or acknowledging this equality. Often there are groups of God followers who are willing to embrace uh, embrace it like a hot potato. They, they, they imagine this shared equality to be theirs only momentarily, and they catch the hot potato only to toss it on to someone else. They have this momentary acknowledgement of equality, but then believe themselves to have moved on. Often spiritual pride, the worst member of the pride family, takes up residence in a believer, so that while they they are some split second saw themselves as equal, that equality of the gospel we are to steward is rapidly replaced with a prideful spiritual superiority, an inequality that denies the gospel of equality. We can share in the hope of the resurrection. We can sing at the funeral of a believer in our spiritual tribe. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But truth be known, it might be revealed that our sentiment is not when we all, but when we some get to heaven, when the remnant get to heaven, or when the Sabbath keepers get to heaven, or when the faith-filled and the faithful get to heaven, when the obedient get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That sentiment, if it exists, is due in part to stepping away from our responsibility of stewarding the gospel of equality. Paul makes it clear in his letter to the believers at Rome, Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and following says this, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. 
as it is written, now Paul is now Paul's going to do this really cool thing. He's going to quote little snippets from memory, but the parts that he wishes to use to drive his point home. Words from the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Isaiah. And in typical rabbinic fashion, he strings these quotes together. He says this, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together uh, become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their thoughts are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous by his, in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Here is the level playing field of the gospel. Here is the equality of the gospel that we are to be stewarding. No one is righteous, not even one. We're all equal, equally unrighteous. Paul continues, but but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice in the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here is this amazing equality. We are all depraved. In Paul's words, there is no one righteous. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Romans, writes, The corruption of which the apostle here speaks is so very deep that it is not fully understood even by such as are spiritual, those who are believers. For this reason, the truly righteous pray fervently and entreat God for divine grace, not only because they know that their will is evil, but also because they can never fully comprehend the unspeakable depth of their depravity. So they humble themselves and earnestly ask God to sanctify them perfectly. Man, by nature, selfishly seeks only what is to his advantage. He can love only himself above all things, and that is the sum and substance of all transgression. Such self-sufficient persons seek only to please themselves and secure applause even when they follow piety and virtue. Listen, that's how equal we are in our human depravity. That even when we are following after piety and virtue, we even do that selfishly. We're all equal in the reality that we are all a mess. We sometimes imagine a place on our Christian pilgrimage where we'll have arrived. But in her book, Christ Object Lessons, in the chapter about 
two worshipers going up to the temple to pray. We find this amazing quotation. I first remember paying attention to this quotation because of Mary Alice Castonia, second grade teacher for years at Orlando Junior Academy, pointing it out to me. Here's what it says. No outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self. Great idea. Then she says, but no one can empty themselves of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It's your property. Keep it pure, for I can't keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. Listen, we may imagine that this is a good prayer for beginners as they begin to follow Jesus, that this prayer is a good way to to start, but then that we'll move on to maturity where it just wouldn't be true to still pray such a prayer, but that's not the case. Listen as this quotation continues. It is not only at the beginning of the Christian life that this renunciation of self is to be made. At every advanced step, heavenward, it is to be renewed. All of our good works are dependent on a power outside of ourselves. Therefore, there needs to be a continual reaching out of the heart after God, a continual earnest heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the soul before him. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. And the nearer we come to Jesus and the more clearly we discern the purity of his character, the more clearly we shall discern the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the less we shall feel like exalting ourselves. Those whom heaven recognizes as holy ones are the last to parade their own goodness. The apostle Peter became a faithful minister of Christ. He was greatly honored with divine light and power. He he had an active part in the upbuilding of Christ's church. But Peter never forgot the fearful experience of his humiliation. His sin was forgiven, Yet well he knew that for the weakness of character which had caused his fall, only the grace of Christ could avail. He found in himself nothing in which to glory. You and I are part of the body of Christ universally, part of our denomination, part of this local expression of the body of Christ, and we share an equality. We share an equality with every other human. All other Christians. All those of other faiths, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, all those with no faith, from apathetic, non-thinking, non-believers to active, ardent, atheists and agnostics, with every human on this globe, we share the equality of being sinners. We share the equality of having no righteousness in ourselves with every other human. And we share the reality that God in Christ Jesus has equally reconciled all things to himself, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And we will best steward this gospel of equality by humbly holding on to the truth of both our depravity and God's gracious reconciling in Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Randy McGray 
podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church/podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.